Christmas is a big deal in Finland. I don't know if you knew that, but in Finland it's a big deal. There's a great tradition that happens every Christmas there in, uh, in Finland. In fact, it's happened almost every year since 1300. That's a serious tradition. Over 700 years, these, these people have practiced this tradition. And it's called the Declaration of Christmas Peace. In the city of Turku, Finland, each year at noon on Christmas Eve, they have this reading of the Declaration of Peace. It's usually read by a, a city official or a magistrate or a judge, and it's a fairly short uh, uh, proclamation. It's broadcast over television, over the radio, and now, of course, live streaming. This year will be the first year in, in over a century that they haven't gathered because of the virus, and they're going to be doing it uh, completely online. But it's read from the balcony of an old building, an old mansion there in the center of the old town square. And this declaration kind of signals the start of Christmas. And uh, the, the purpose is to remind people and to encourage people that, that are there to spend the holiday in peace and in harmony and to threaten offenders who choose not to do that, to make it um, a criminal act, not if you should disturb the Christmas peace. And then, of course, also to encourage everyone to have a very Merry Christmas. Now, this is, I want to read to you what the declaration says. It's, it's fairly short. But I want you to, as that magistrate unrolls the scroll on this, on this day in um, uh, this Christmas Eve, I want you to hear what is being declared and has been declared for over seven centuries. Tomorrow, God willing, is the graceful celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior. And thus is declared a peaceful Christmas time to all by advising devotion and to have otherwise quiet, uh, to, to behave otherwise quietly and peacefully because he who breaks this peace and violates the peace of Christmas by any illegal or improper behavior shall under aggravating circumstances be guilty and be punished according to what the law and the statutes prescribe for each and every offense separately. Finally, the joyous Christmas feast is wished to all the inhabitants of the city. Did you hear that? Anyone who violates this Christmas peace will be held accountable. Seriously, these Finns are serious about Christmas, aren't they? And they're serious about, about protecting the peace uh, in, in their community and in the lives of individuals. If you don't, you'll be dealt with harshly. But what a great way it is to usher in Christmas with the reminder of what Christ's coming and the peace that he brings into the world really means. 
Now, if you've been journeying with us so far this Advent season, we've talked about what the coming of Jesus really is about. Advent means coming. And so as Jesus, as we prepare our hearts for the birth of Jesus, I think it's important that we have Advent because so many times, I don't know about you, but every year of my life so far, we've had Christmas. I mean, families get together. Now, maybe this, will, this Christmas will be slightly different, but we'll, we'll still have Christmas. And sometimes when you do something over and over and over and over, it can become routine and part of the landscape. And it can just be something that you circle on your calendar because you get a couple days off work and you don't want to go out on Black Friday. That's just kind of what... Christmas sometimes becomes in the lives of some people. And Advent makes us stop through all the hustle, the bustle, the turmoil, the schedule, uh, the hectic schedules. And it causes us to say, why did Jesus come? Or as we sing this morning, who is this child? Why would anyone care that this child was born? I mean, there were a lot of things going on in their day as well. It was a hectic, hectic time when Mary and Joseph made the journey to, to uh, Bethlehem from Galilee to come down and, and register themselves as, because of the requirements of the government. And they got there and there was no lodging available, nowhere for them to, to stay. And she was pregnant and ready to deliver. And what are we going to do? You can imagine the turmoil that's there. And in the midst of all of that, and, and, and so much more, the shepherds on the side of the hill, we'll read about them in just a moment. But in the midst of all the turmoil and the hubbub and the ado is the peace of Christmas. And so I want to I share with you, and I want, I want you this morning to focus with me on... Uh, as we look at this time of Advent at Christmas peace, and I want us to, as we see on the screen, rediscover Christmas. That Christmas becomes new. And today we're going to look at finding peace during the times of our struggles. When things are difficult, finding peace. Now, as we've been going through this, we're looking at some of the different characters in the Bible story. Last time, we saw Simeon and Anna, who were there at the temple when Jesus was brought in by Mary and Joseph to the temple shortly after he was born. He'd been circumcised. He'd been named. And now he was, he was being brought in. And when he did, Simeon, uh, Simeon who had, was a man who was an elderly man, and he had been promised by God that he wouldn't die until he saw the promised Messiah, the, the Lord of, the, of, of God, coming. And when he saw Jesus, he said, now I can die in peace. Anna comes along, and she gives a declaration about this child and who he is. And these people who had been longing for, looking for the promised Messiah, 
that for centuries before had been expected to come and deliver the people, that the, that that they uh, uh, that here he was full, he was presented to, uh, in the temple and fulfilled all of their hope and all the promises of God. Now I want you to read with me today as we're going to look at the shepherds and their role in this Christmas story. And I want you to find Luke chapter 2. It's very familiar. You may even know it by heart by now. Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin reading when the angels uh, or when the, the shepherds are introduced in the story. This is the part of, of the Christmas story that uh, Linus tells Charlie Brown. This is what Christmas is all about. And so I want you to, to uh, read with me uh, from Luke chapter 2. It says that uh, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, cloths, and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. The New Living Translation says an army of angels. The Amplified talks about the armies of heaven. That this is a, imagine this sight. I have no clue how many angels God created. But I imagine if you were to see the sky filled with them, it would get your attention. And these these heavenly hosts are praising God, and they're saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I think that if I saw that, and I heard that, even if I weren't a Baptist preacher, even if I were just somebody sitting on the side of the hill, oh, say like the shepherds, that would get my attention. I mean, I, I, it would it would intrigue me to see the skies filled and the voices of the of the, of the uh, ones that are filling that sky saying, "Praise God for what He's done." What has He done? I mean, what what is it that they are that is causing them to be uh, to to be so so exp uh, expressive? About God and what he's done. In fact the angels then went away. Verse 15 says. And the shepherds said to one another. We better go see this. We better see this thing. Uh, uh, verse 15. When it says let us go over to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened. That, that phrase intrigues me. Because it doesn't say. Let's go see this baby. They said, let's go see this thing. Isn't that an interesting choice of words? Have you ever thought about that? 
they weren't just going to see a baby that was born. They could do that any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Babies being born in their day, just as in our day, is everyday stuff. It's commonplace. Now, I, I know those of you with children, and especially those of you with grandchildren, there's nothing that's regular and ordinary about your kids. But babies being born is not a showstopper. Unless it's your baby being born. And when it's your baby being born, the world stops, doesn't it? I can't remember all that much about my life growing up. I, I remember more than I let on, but but I'll tell you one thing that I remember as clear as a bell was the day that that Nathan came into this world 40 plus years ago. Or the day that we stood before a judge and, and we were declared the adoptive parents of Job. I mean, those were moments I can tell you what I was wearing. I can tell you what I had for breakfast that day. I can tell you what a blow by blow because it was my baby. It was my child. The angels announced to the shepherds, let's go see this thing the angels told us about. This thing, what was this thing? A child has been born for you. A child who is Christ the Lord. We want to see this thing, this Messiah. Because if, he, if this is true stuff, if what the angels said is true, then... When we see him, everything's going to change. Everything will, will be different. The turmoils will still be there. The hectic schedules will still be there. But all of a sudden, they won't make that much difference to us. Because we have beheld the Messiah, the promised one. And so they, they say, let's go to Bethlehem. And let's see this thing that the Lord went out of his way to send all of the armies of heaven to declare to us has taken place. Then it says that they made that with haste. They went and found Mary and Joseph. And they found the baby lying in a manger exactly as the angels had declared. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And I imagine that would have been quite a tale. As I assume it's nighttime. Because the angels, when they appeared in heaven, the light shone round about them. But I, my assumption in all the Christmas cards I've ever got, photographs are at nighttime, so I guess it had to be at night. I don't know. But... Uh, at nighttime, when you have somebody coming along that you don't know that shows up at your door and says, I want to see this, this thing that, that's happened here that the angels in heaven, all the angels, the armies of heaven stopped by and told me about. You'd probably want to smell their breath, wouldn't you? I wonder what they've been drinking. What is it that's caused them to act this way? But So they told everybody what the angels had told them. Verse 19, uh, 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 verse 18 says, And all who heard it wondered at what these shepherds told them. 
But Mary treasured up all these things. She remembered them. If she's like, if Mary's like my wife, she had a scrapbook going. And she kept every memor every piece of memorabilia about it. She, she not only kept these things, she pondered them in her heart. She thought about these things. What all of this meant. What the, angel, what the shepherds do? They returned glorifying and praising God for, they, for all they heard, for what they had seen, that it all happened as it had been told to them. These shepherds being out in the field probably is an indication that this wasn't the dead of winter. It probably was a springtime birth. Probably the fact that they were out watching their flocks by night indicates that it was warm enough for the sheep to be out there. But also that there would have been a lot of sheep there, maybe even around a festival time. One of the feasts of Israel. Or maybe these were, these were shepherds who, were, uh, who raised sheep that were used in the temple for the daily sacrifices. Those sheep have to be watched, I mean, just carefully. Uh, you, you can't let anything happen to them. So if necessary, you stay awake at night to make sure that they don't get cut or a cocklebur caught in their, in their hair or some sort of a parasite. You've got to watch these kinds of sheep. And so these shepherds are out in the field, and they're watching their sheep. Again, I don't know thing one about watching sheep. I watch sheep all day long in my house because Sue collects sheep. I mean the little figurines. And we've got one. We've got a picture of a sheep somewhere in every room in our house. And there's little statues on every, if something's flat, it's got a sheep on it. And so I see sheep all the time. But the only time I've really ever been around sheep is at the is at the state fair. Have you ever gone into that barn where they've got the sheep? It's not pleasant. Sheep are so cute and cuddly, but they are very, very smelly. They're not clean. They have to be cleaned. But you get you get the whole picture. And that these men are the guys that are assigned to scoop up the sheep poop. Okay? These are not, this is not a glamour job. They are not highly thought of in their society. When the announcement came to the shepherds, I want you to notice that it didn't come to the VIPs of the day. It came to this group of, of uh, of men that are everyday, common, ordinary yokels. They are, they are blue-collar workers who get dirt under their fingernails. <laughs> they are people that, uh, that are the, the most unlikely recipients of this, of this message. Probably not necessarily highly educated. But it's another scene in how 
God is perfectly flipping the script on what we humans would expect and plan if it were up to us to save the world. But it's, the, the whole experience leaves us asking, why shepherds? Why these unexpecting and unassuming guys? Well, maybe it's because shepherds really tie the whole biblical narrative together. Have you ever noticed how many of the, of the patriarchs or the Bible characters were shepherds or other working stiffs, fishermen? Fishermen, don't, please, Jim, don't get mad at me. Fishermen can smell too if you've been around fish and you clean fish. It's not a glamour position. So why did God use shepherds to announce his sheep? Well, it, as I mentioned, it ties the stories together. The uh, Abraham, for instance. Abraham's profession was that he was a roaming rancher. He, they had these... They were nomadic animal tenders, and they moved around looking for grass and looking for water uh, in that part of the world. And he was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. His son, Isaac, was a shepherd. His son, his son, Jacob, was a shepherd. Go on down a little bit, we could stay, we could walk that line if you want to for a while but just going to David King David the greatest king in all of Israel before he became all of that was a shepherd and in fact was so common and ordinary even his own father didn't think that he could be a king when his brothers were all paraded before uh, the prophet to anoint the next king he said, is this all the sons of hell? There's David out in the field, but he's a shepherd. Bring him here. They, it was a shepherd that God chose to be the great king over his people. You see, shepherds were the everyman. They were nothing special. They had no entitlement. They had no pride. They had no arrogance. They, they weren't religiously bloated like the Pharisees and the, and the priests at the temple were. And so they fit right into this process of introducing God's Messiah. So far in the story, he's used a humble carpenter and a peasant girl as parents for the Son of God. He's birthed in a lowly stable, surrounded by animals, in, the, in a city that's had a history a thousand years ago, but now is just a wide spot in the road. The city of David, Bethlehem. That's where, uh, that's where God had chosen. These were the have-nots. And they were examples of God raising and using the humble and turning the world as we know it on its head. Over in the, 
in the book of 1 Corinthians, the Bible talks about how God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound those who really think they're something. Sometimes we we think, and here's the, here's the shortness, let me get out of my sermon long enough to say this, that this is what God wants us to know today, that we don't have to clean ourselves up and get our lives right and together and all of those things in order for him to love us, in order for him to receive us, in order for him to save us. The good news is this, just as you, you are, you can come. Just as you are. He'll take care of the cleaning you up. He'll take care of putting your feet back right. You just come. You, and you say, well, I don't feel worthy. Guess what? You are not worthy. None of us are worthy. But God's love is greater than your worth or lack of worth. And so he wants, he shows up for shepherds and he shows up for Joseph and for Mary and for Bethlehem because he wants them, he wants us to know that in this simple way, through these simple means, God is bringing salvation to the world. Man, what a great story. This Probably if you were trying to sell this story to first century movie producers, they'd say, nobody wants to see that. They want to see people that are living in big palaces and having swimming pools up behind their estate and, and, and see how they're living their lives and see what their crib is like and all of that stuff. See, I, I watch TV too. But he... he that, that's what we think. That's what they probably thought. But look who Jesus comes to. This gathering of people here today. Respect, and I'm part of a gathering, okay? I know that. But this gathering, this group of people that are here today, we are as common and everyday and as average as you can get. Do you know that you're here because the king of the universe invited you to be here? No. Because he wanted to meet with you. He wanted to hear your voice sing songs about him. Because he knows that when we praise him, he comes alive in our lives. And that's the good news about who Jesus came to. That's why he went to shepherds. Because if he had come to kings and potentates, you and I wouldn't feel like we're, we're we ought to be in his presence, right? But because he came to shepherds, we realize it is to those who are humble that God comes. And when he comes, he brings us peace. These shepherds also signify Jesus' future ministry, his future teaching. Sheep might have been lowly animals, but they were very special animals in Jewish culture. The Passover lamb was the sacrifice an ancient Jew would make during the most important holiday of their year. Its blood was the atonement for a person's 
sin. The cost that had to be paid in order to restore a person with God. And each time it was done, this sacrifice served as a reminder of the original Passover and God's original rescue of his people from Egypt, but also the Messiah that would come to deliver his people. You and I know that Jesus was entering the world to fulfill his identity as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. His death did away with the need for those sacrificial lambs. His resurrection made it possible for us to be fully restored in our relationship with God so that he could bring us to God, Scripture says. His life made it possible to experience, for us to experience, true peace. The Hebrew word is shalom. And there that Hebrew word, that word in the English, the Hebrew language and culture meant wholeness, completeness, full healing and health. That's why shepherds were chosen. And I think the, that the shepherds also can, and the event that took place that night can lead us into several insights on our, of our own intersection with God's peace. So let me share these with you, if you will. First point that I want you to get, that I want you to take home with you today, that I want to penetrate your heart today is this. Peace comes in the midst of storms. True peace comes in the midst of storms. Probably if we were to give a test today, and it were a brief essay test, and we said, what is peace? Most of us would say it's the absence of something, the absence of conflict or turmoil. That's not what true peace is. True peace is, is wholeness and completeness in the middle of the storms. Any of you going through a storm right now? I sure you are. You're alive in 2020. And this this whole world, this whole year has been a constant turmoil that I figured sometime last fall things were starting to turn around, didn't you? But I read the numbers, the statistics of deaths in Kansas City over these past few days, and you realize that we ain't out of the woods yet. It's still, it's still true, and, and we're, we're still, a, what, three weeks away from Christmas? There's still plenty of time for them to shut everything down again. I mean, it could go, it could, what I'm saying is it could get worse. And you have this, you have this turmoil and this storm that's raging all around. And that, that's just one thing. Some of you are dealing with something that's a whole lot harder than a coronavirus pan pandemic. Some of you, the doctors have given word, have a health issue that is life-threatening to you. Some of you have lost a loved one a husband, a wife, and a child, a grandparent, and and it just, the pain never goes away. 
and you try to, it's just a constant storm. You get it? Some of you are having bigger storms than just what's going on around, but we're all in this constant storm. Look at the point again. Peace comes in the midst of the storms. I was, uh, I have a, uh, one of the nurses that works with, works with me, on me, whatever, as I go, I go to physical cardiotherapy every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, and I have for now about three months, trying to get my heart back and strong and all those things. And about two weeks ago, she went on a vacation to the Florida Keys. And uh, I was so jealous of her. She flew out on a Saturday morning, and on Sunday is when the tornado or the hurricane that hit the Florida Keys hit. I don't remember the name of Hurricane Etta or whatever, whatever it was. And so when she got back, I was talking with her about it, and she's, I said, was it a, he, she said by the time it had hit the, the Keys, it had been downgraded to a tropical storm, and there were only 70 and 80 mile an hour winds and torrential rain that went all night long. And, and she, she talked about, about that, and, and I said, well, were you afraid? She says, well, I was at the beginning. When the hurricanes hit, I, uh, we, we immediately asked the people, is this place, this little bungalow or whatever it was that we're staying, is it gonna be able to withstand this? And she, she wasn't sure that it, was, that it wasn't gonna blow away. But she said something happened in the middle of that storm. The eye of the hurricane went over. And she said, we had been pelted with rain. We had been driven by, by high winds. And all of a sudden, in the midst of all that, the sky turned blue. And, it, and the sun shone. She said it was a color of blue I had never seen before. The sun came out. And she said the winds stopped. She said that, that for a period of time, it was the calmest, she said, I have ever felt in my life. Now surely the, the storm, the back of the storm came on after the eye had moved on. But she said, but when, the, when, when I had realized the peace in the midst of the storm, I was no longer worried when these other winds started to blow. That's peace. That's peace in the midst of the storms. That's where, that's where you're going to experience peace. You see, if, if your life is going along and nothing's wrong, you don't know whether you're at peace or not. But if you're in turmoil and constant panic and dread, and all of a sudden... The blue skies and the sunshine comes out and the storm stop. Just for a time, now I see and I've experienced the peace of God. And I can handle the storms on the other side. So peace comes in the midst of our storms. Let me share with you the, the second point that I want you to take home with you today. And that is that this peace that we're talking about defies our circumstances. You see, I, I, I know when I, 
say something like what I've talked about today, that what people think, because I'm not just a preacher, I'm also listening to me, or I sit in the, in the congregation when somebody else is preaching, and so I know how people work, I know how they think, and here is one of the ones that I'm sure somebody here has already come up with. Well, yeah, that works for you, but you don't know what I'm going through. Can I tell you, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know your pain. I don't know your hurt. I don't know your turmoil. I know mine. And mine may be way down here compared to yours. But here's what I do know. The promise of God is that his peace is greater than your turmoil. It defies the circumstances you're in. It doesn't matter if you're just barely getting through or if you are completely underwater. Our, our, our peace is not defined by the circumstances around us. Rather, our peace defies the circumstances that are around us. The Bible says it this way to us. The Bible tells us that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, that we should rejoice in the Lord always. In case you missed it, he says, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everybody because the Lord's coming is at hand. Do not, uh, do not be anxious about anything. Whoa, that's a tough one, isn't it? Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't fret about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the result is this, verse 7, the peace of God which passes all understanding. You can't reason it out. You can't think it out. You, you can't explain it to anybody. You know, how did you, when you went through this, well, there was just a peace that came onto me, came over me. I can't explain it, but it was there and I felt it. Right? That peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and keep your minds through Christ Jesus. I don't pretend to fully understand all that I just read. But I want you to know that no matter what we're facing, this process begins with us turning to God, this process of peace. You're not going to know the peace until you do what, it's, what it says for us to do. And to not be anxious about things, but rather to be in prayer and to ask God with thanksgiving take care of those things. Now, God doesn't tell us we should do that so that he will know what we're going through. He doesn't tell us this because we're, you know, we're out here, you know, we're insignificant people. God wouldn't even know that I'm here unless every now and then I acted up. And so he's not saying pray because I need the reminder that you're there. 
He knows every detail about me that I'm going through, every moment of every day. He knows the numbers of hair on my head. He knows every breath I take, every heartbeat that I make, the ones that are good and the ones that aren't. <clears throat> he knows all this about me. He knows things that I don't know about me. But he says, make them known to him because he wants me to understand that in order for this peace to be appropriated into my life, I've got to come to him. I've got to come to him to receive it. Because I, I think, at least with me, he'd know if I, didn't, if I didn't have to come to him, I'd just be lazy and sit in my recliner all day long and say, okay, God, give me this. God, give me that. Would you? And so he says, come to me and I'll give you peace. I don't pretend to fully understand it, but there's a power in prayer and a transformation that grows from gratitude. Make your request known with thanksgiving. It's not the power of getting what we want or of convincing God to see things our way. We can try. And he will listen. But more than that, the power of prayer happens in this experience of peace as our perspective changes and finds an understanding that God is with us. <clears throat> Emmanuel, no matter what. And an acknowledgement and acceptance that he's got this. <clears throat> he can be trusted. And that's enough. And once you trust it to him, you can have his peace. Let me tell you, the, let me give you the third point that I want to make with you today. Peace is a person. It's not a feeling. Now, there's a feeling that follows it. But peace is a person. If you want to have the peace of God, you have to understand it's not you're not going to get it by sitting with your legs folded a certain way doing this. It's going to be when you come to his son Jesus. Because he is peace. In fact, that's what scripture says. Ephesians chapter 2:14 says, "He himself is our peace." Long before all of this story ever took place, there was a promise of the coming of, of, the, of the Christ of God. And this, this promise was, was recorded for us in Isaiah chapter 9. You're familiar with it. You're familiar with it probably not so much from reading it in Isaiah, but in, in hearing it in the Hallelujah Chorus. And these are what the words tell us in in Isaiah chapter 9 about this child of God, this, this uh, uh, promised Messiah, this deliverer, this Christ. In Isaiah 9 verse 6, he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father. Notice the next one. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Uh, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You see, this peace is a it, 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 it is a person. It's the person that this Messiah, this Christ, that is coming. Now, the words that we read are kind of political sounding, aren't they? The government will be upon his shoulders, and of his government there will be no end. And, and peace will increase. You kind of can see why the Jews were looking for a political Messiah, couldn't you? I mean, they wanted somebody who would come and upend the system and turn everything upside down so that we, then we'll have peace. You know, governments come and governments go. Empires come and empires go. Great nations come and great nations go. The governments, and please don't take this to sound in any way un-American or unappreciative of the nation that we live in. Our peace is not going to be found in governments, political governments. And if we if we look there for our satisfaction, if we look there for our peace, we're going to be disappointed. But Jesus, the person who is the Prince of Peace, when He rules and when He reigns, everything will be right. Everything will be done correctly. Everything will, will establish the kingdom of God. Most of all, this child that's born, this son that has been given to us, brings the power and rule of his peace into our personal lives. See, I can live at peace. I can be at peace. I am at peace today because I'm right with God. I don't say that in any way bragging. Because I'm not right with God because of how good a guy I am. I'm right with God because of the Prince of Peace came to give me peace with God. And but because he did, in the midst of all this turmoil, God brings peace through Jesus Christ. That's why the invitation that Jesus gave is so critical today to tying all of this together. In Matthew chapter 11, here are the words of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, to you and to me. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and 
you will find rest, shalom, peace for your souls. Because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You want peace today? Peace in your heart, peace in your life, peace in your circumstances? I'm not offering you today for all the circumstances to be <clears throat> moved around and cleaned up and everything put in apple pie order. I'm saying that in the midst of all this, the invitation is to come to Jesus and let his peace rule in your heart so that you will be whole and that you will be complete and you will be at peace. I want you to bow your head with me, please. Father, I thank you for this wonderful, marvelous gift and promise of peace through the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that when he came into this world, he came to bring us peace and to give us peace and to allow us to live in the midst of this sinful, hard, difficult world with peaceful minds and souls. So this Christmas, Father, I pray that each one of us would not only hear of that peace, but would experience in our own lives. Not after we've gotten our lives together, but right now as we are. We may be smelly, we may be dirty, we may be common, we may be ordinary. But Jesus came to give us peace. So thank you, Father, for the promise that is, that is afforded us in Scripture, that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is our peace. Have your way, Father, in our hearts and in our lives. I ask in Jesus' name.